Well, happy Easter to everyone. I wanted to start off this sermon by reading through a passage in Luke, Luke chapter 24. I want to read verse 1 through 35. This is after Jesus had been crucified on the cross, he had been buried, and then three days later he rose again, and this is where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember, he told you, while he was in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told those things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, Believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This Easter, 
may your hearts be captivated by the message of the risen Savior, the one who came and died for all mankind, the one who took the punishment we deserved because of our sin. But as the scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I know this Easter is maybe not necessarily how you had envisioned it. It's not exactly how you wanted it to go. You probably had other plans. Um, My twin girl's birthday is April 12th, and they had different plans too for their birthday. But God had a different plan at this point in history. Our staff was really excited to plan to reach over a thousand people in our building. We had made all the preparations. We had freaked all the volunteers out and all the volunteer leaders and everyone's trying to fill their roles and everyone was making phone calls and sending out emails just a few weeks back to try to make sure we had enough people to make this happen. All the big plans, we bought billboards and we had bought printed cards and doing all these strategic things to reach over a thousand people this Easter. But God had bigger plans because as we've been online these past few weeks, we look back and we see that Every single week, over 2,000 people from all over the world have been tuning in and hearing the message of the gospel. God had bigger plans. Our thinking is so small compared to God's. He just keeps doing things through what seems like a hopeless situation, through something that maybe not hopeless, but maybe just less than ideal than what expected. But folks, God is not surprised. He's not caught off guard And he doesn't have to change course and course correct because of the coronavirus. He knew that this Easter would be experienced this way. He knew that the gospel would be spread this way. And he knew that churches would be able to adapt and figure out a way to continue to share the message of the gospel. The message that is now going to be saturating screens on this Easter weekend all over the world. It's the message that captivates to somewhat of a captive audience. The message that today, eternity might be impacted. And people may have their eyes open to see, maybe like those guys on the road to Emmaus, that Jesus was there the whole time. If you have your Bible, go turn with me over to Philippians, the third chapter. The Apostle Paul talks about his own captivation that he had with Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he writes this to the church in Philippi, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. As we read this and hear how the Apostle Paul was so captivated by Christ that everything else was considered rubbish. He didn't even say it was like a close second. He said everything else is nothing. Nothing else matters except this pursuit of, of, of attaining Christ and, 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 and of trusting in Him by faith. And this changed his behavior in such a radical way because what you value drives your behavior. Paul counted all of his accolades, all of his accomplishments as loss compared to knowing Christ and being known by Him. And this value drove his behavior to follow Jesus with a reckless abandonment because he was captivated by something greater. He was captivated by something bigger than anything else, and no one had to instruct him on how to be captivated. I think back to when I first saw my wife. No one had to say, you see that lady over there? You need to be captivated by her, and here's how you should express your captivation. No one had to teach me this. I'll never forget, when I first saw my wife, I was actually interviewing for my very first ministry position. I was two weeks out of high school, and I had an opportunity to go be a youth pastor. And I didn't even realize I was going for a job interview. I thought it was a volunteer thing, um, but I found out later that they were actually wanting to pay me. And here I am two weeks out of high school, and I go to this church out in the middle of nowhere, and I go to this church, and the service was great, but my eyes were captivated in a different direction that Sunday. My, I went home. I was still living at home with my parents. I went home. My mom, she said, so how did the church thing go that you're looking at, you know, possibly helping them out with the youth? How'd that go? And I said, church was great, but there was this girl there, mom. And I said that she was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. I remember what she was wearing. Uh, I, I got to actually interact with her a little bit. And here I was all, <laughs> you know, just thinking about getting to talk to her. I was captivated. I didn't have to go to school after that. And someone say, okay, now here's how you are captivated. I just saw her. I didn't know anything about her. She had done nothing for me at all. She just simply existed. And that was enough for me. And the fact that she simply exists, existed and I was captivated by her. As I think about that, man, it changed, changed my, my, my behaviors. Now all of a sudden, um, I used to have these things called friends. Now all of a sudden, they just all disappeared because everything was about her. I, I remember actually uh, uh, just, just completely reorganizing the way I spent my money. All of my money went to and still goes to. No, just kidding. Uh, towards her. <laughs> Everything went towards her because it, I, I was so captivated. My time, it meant nothing. Time was an afterthought. I, I didn't even pay attention to what time it was, which uh, got me into a lot of trouble um, because mom and dad would say, be home by such and such time, and I would lose track of time. I was so captivated and that was all that mattered in that moment. So when you're captivated by something, it will change your behaviors. And you will do things that don't even make sense. You will behave in ways that don't make sense to everyone else. Everyone else is looking at you going, what is your problem? You're just captivated. No one had to convince you. No one had to sell you on the idea. You were just so enamored and so captivated that it changed your priorities. It changed your value system. And that's how it should be when we are truly captivated 
by who Christ is and what he's done. It does, our value systems don't change because someone told us, well, now that you're going to church, now that you're going to be a Christian, you got to line up and you got to be this way and you got to do these things and you got to fall in line. No, if you're captivated, it's going to just happen as you pursue what has captivated your heart. It's not about you trying to figure out how to, how to be captivated. It's that you are captivated. And then you learn more and more about him and how to serve Him, how to love Him, how to please Him, how, how, to, how to glorify Him through this process of, of sanctification, through this process of growing in Christ's likeness. But no one can teach you the initial captivation. No one can teach you to just love God because they tell you to. And I think that's kind of what Paul was trying to say here. He's saying, listen, I, I counted everything else as loss, not because someone told me I should, but because He was that valuable to me. Matthew 13 and 44, Jesus said this in one of his parables, that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. There's something about being captivated about Christ. There's something about delighting in who he is. Because delight in Christ will sustain what religion loses. Religion says, do the right things to make God happy because, well, you want God to be happy and, well, you sure wouldn't like God when he's angry. So if you want to make God happy, act this way, behave this way, do these things. But man, people just can't measure up when they try to live their life to just do all the right things. Maybe, maybe some of those uh, who are, are, are just more disciplined in nature can really be good at disciplining Maybe some people who are chasing after affirmation and approval from maybe a, a parent or uh, someone who's in a, an authoritative position that has said, this is how you serve God, this is how you should live, this is what a, a spiritual Christ follower looks like. Maybe you're, you're trying to meet that person's expectation, but you're not loving God in the process. You're just seeking that affirmation or that approval, and you're not delighting. And so you're trying to get everything just right, and you're always feeling like you're failing, never feeling like you're quite getting it right, and, and, and you always feel like there's always someone out there that's just so much further down the road than you, and you're never going to be good enough. And we live in these traps, and we live in these cycles all the time, and we're missing out on the key component here. The key component is delighting in Christ. You see, delight will sustain me delighting in him, being able to enjoy him, to live in awe of who he is. You see, the beauty of being in Christ now is that we get to enjoy God now, but we're also going to be able to enjoy him forever. But we get to do it also now. We get to learn this now, and Jesus has made that possible. And when I delight in that, it will sustain me through what just following a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations or trying to meet people's expectations or garner their approval, man, it loses every single time. Delighting in Christ is founded in a heart of gratitude, a heart of awe that's captivated by the treasure of who He is. You see, God isn't looking for a heartless adherence to rituals. He's looking for a heart that is captivated. There's nothing wrong with going through rituals. We all have rituals. We all have traditions. There's nothing wrong with those things. 
but oftentimes we can substitute just feeling like we're doing the tradition, we're going through the motions. I showed up on Easter, I, I, I did this thing at church, or I, I had communion, or I said this prayer, but it was so heartless. We can go through the motions thinking we're doing something good, just like when we'll tell our spouse, I love you, and they'll say, oh yeah, you don't really mean that. What do you mean? You never say I love you. Yes, I do. I love you. See there, I said it. And we go through these things. What are they trying to communicate to us? It's not the words. It's where's the actual love? Where's the meaning behind it? Kind of like when your kids get in trouble. Now look at your sister. Tell her you're sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you didn't mean it. And they give the most lifeless hug you've ever seen in your life. When they try to make up. Why? You're, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? You're looking for a heart change. You're looking for a true repentance. You're looking for a true love. You're looking for sincerity. You're looking for authenticity. And folks, God is looking for the same thing. He's looking for a heart that's captivated. Jesus uh, let a lady know this at a well when he ran into her in John chapter 4. Let's look at this story. John chapter 4, Jesus has this interaction with this woman at a well and everybody's just blown away that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman because Jews and Samaritans did not interact. And so to see Jesus not only talking to a Samaritan, but talking to a woman, that was another cultural no-no. This wasn't just a Samaritan, it was a Samaritan woman. Come on, what is going on? As a matter of fact, later when, when he's questioned about talking to the Samaritan woman, um, his disciples didn't even bring up the fact that she was a Samaritan. They just said, why were you talking to that woman? Don't you know? Like, what were you doing? And Jesus is trying to let them know, hey, this is who I've come for. So John chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 7, this interaction that he has. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water from this well, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is too deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and we drink from, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's thinking about physical stuff, right? Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come over here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, yeah, you're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, oh, sir, I, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So now she's realizing she's talking to a religious person. Okay, now, oh, I see, you're, you're a prophet. Jesus said to her, verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming from neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking 
such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, as his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why were you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? See, in this interaction, Jesus lets her know it's not about Jews worshiping over here this way and you worshiping what you don't know and you don't quite get it yet. He said, no, there's coming a time where it's not about you just trying to do it right. He said, there's a time that's coming. He said, and now it's even here where the Father's seeking people who are going to be worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And this lady, she goes, hang on a second. I know there's a Messiah coming. I know there's a Christ coming. And, and the things you're saying are making me think about that. And he said, woman, the one you're talking about, I'm him. And this woman is blown away in her delight of realizing who Jesus was. He didn't say, now go evangelize. He didn't say, now go teach this, now go tell this. No, the woman, in her joy, in her delight of realizing who Jesus was, the Bible says she left her jar. She abandoned her jar. She was there to get water. It was a normal day for her. She was just there to get water like she probably did that day, every day, around the same time. She's bringing her jar there. She left her jar. She ran. She didn't grab no shoes or nothing, Jesus. She got out and ran because this woman had so been captivated by the Christ and began to tell other people about him and what he had said to her. It was because of this delight. It was because of this awe. It was because of this realizing something Something like those men on the road to Emmaus. Man, when he talked to us, wasn't there just something burning on the inside of you? Just like Paul, the apostle. Uh, man, everything else is, is lost. Everything else is it, it's not even worth pursuing. I, I've, I've counted everything lost that I might gain Christ. And then this woman, it, my, my jar is not even worth it. I found something so much more valuable just like the, the parable of the man in the field, he, he stumbles upon this, this treasure and out of joy over what he's found, he sells everything that he has and he goes and he buys that field. This delight in Christ sustains us where rules, where regulations, where traditions will not. It's about delighting in Christ because he is enough. I, I love John Piper's quote, that he's probably most known for, which is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You see, being captivated means that you have heard the message of the gospel and your eyes have been opened like those men on the road to Emmaus. Jesus was walking with them and they didn't even know. He was there. And then all of a sudden they wake up and they realize this. And something in them just goes off, man. They knew something was different. And, and now they're going, all those things that we were unaware of, and now it all makes sense. They can kind of look back in the rearview mirror because now they're thinking, just like me and you, they're thinking, oh man, if I would have known that was Jesus, I would have asked so many questions like, why spiders? 
you know, or, or, you know, I would have asked so many questions if I would have known that was him. But instead, Jesus opened their eyes at that right moment, but they knew there was something there. And then it changed those two men, changed them to where now they were so inspired. They went and they told other people and they were used to confirm to the other disciples that Jesus had indeed risen and that the things everybody else had said were true. And we're reading about that today. And folks, I can't help but think that a lot of times we're just going around like those two men being sad, walking around with our heads hung down about all the limitations we have in life, all the things we can't do, all how hard it is, how difficult it is, how uncertain the future is. Oh, I just wish things could go back to normal and we're just negative, 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 negative all the time. And we may be missing that Jesus, he's walking right there with us. And he's just wanting us to recognize him and enjoy and delight in being with him because he is enough to sustain us when nothing else will. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You may have been walking with Jesus for a really long time, but you may not have really experienced delight and satisfaction. You may have sung songs. You may have taught Sunday school. Maybe even some of you joining us today may have been a pastor, but you had not found delight and satisfaction in Jesus. You've been trying really hard to be a good boy, a good girl. You've been trying really hard to please everyone. You've been trying really hard to do the right thing. You've been attempting to get it right. You've been trying really hard, but you don't know what it means to delight in Christ and to be satisfied in Him. Folks, I, I, I want us to get this. God is not interested in what we can do for him. He's not some needy God that needs us to just do all of this stuff for him. And he's biting his nails, hoping that we don't mess it up. You see, it's not that he needs us. He instead wants us and is inviting us to be captivated and being in awe of him because he has shown us so much of who he is. How rich is his free grace that is offered to us. How amazing is that grace given to sinners like you and me who are condemned to die. But instead of judgment, he offers forgiveness. Instead of punishment, he offers a substitute in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who takes our punishment on the cross. Again, John Piper said this. I I love this quote. He says, grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that that I can enjoy and delight in God without taking from your glory because grace has put me in a position where I had nothing to do with it. Grace has put me in a position where I have nothing to do. You know, my only responsibility in this matter is to respond in awe. That's my responsibility. My responsibility is to go, wow, God, you are amazing. I I, I want to respond. So therefore, all the works I do, all the goodness that comes out of me is now a response. All the benevolence, all the prayer, all the care, all of the outreach, all of the loving my neighbor, it comes out of a place 
that is delighting and is in awe of God, not because someone told me I need to do all these things now that I'm a Christian, but now I get to enjoy being a Christian. I get to enjoy being a Christ follower. Everyone else looks at it as me just submitting to a bunch of rules and doing all these things, and if they look at it that way, they're missing the point. Yeah, I'm going to say no to some things. Yes, Scripture is going to give me some direction. Yes, Scripture is going to give me healthy boundaries. But I delight in those things because my heart is to please and serve Him because I am in awe. When I start from that place, man, the sacrifices that I make for the Lord don't even consider like sacrifices in light of what He's done doesn't even seem like, it's, it's like, okay, God, yeah, it's yours, whatever. If you want it, here, have it. I don't care. It's lost to me. If it can be used for your glory, here, have it. If my life is required of me this day, here, have it. Whatever you need, my finances, my time, it's not mine, it, it's yours. I'm living my life, presenting my body as a living sacrifice, everything that I'm stewarding everything that I'm responsible for. Lord, it's yours. And when I see my role as a steward, when I see my role as someone who's in awe and delighting in Him, when something's required of me, I can say yes a lot quicker. You know why it takes us so long to say yes sometimes? Because often we're not delighting in the Lord. We're, we're, we're trying to see if it's worth it. We're trying to weigh the pros and cons make our lists. We're trying to go, oh, I don't know, maybe. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could do this. I mean, there's got some wiggle room here. Uh, maybe, you know. If, or if it gets me from here to where I want to be, then yeah, I'll say yeah. But I need a guarantee. So we'll try to control outcomes and before we'll say yes to greater things. But Paul, he's saying, <laughs> all of my trophies, all of my accomplishments, I count them as nothing for the sake of knowing Him. So here's, here's my concern, is that you can know about God. You can even be walking with Jesus and not see Him for who He is. You cannot be captivated because you are too focused on your own sadness. You can be too focused on how things are not going according to your plan, how maybe you've tried really, really hard to make everything just right, and your lack of ability to to control outcomes is frustrating you. Some preacher would tell you maybe you just need more faith. But I think scripture wouldn't say you need more faith necessarily. I think you need more delight. I think you need to actually see him for who he is and enjoy him because when I can see him, and, and, and folks, it's something that we should still continually be discovering as we're growing in a relationship with him. It's not like this one time, and all of a sudden we're all good now and we get it all and we understand it all. No, it's a continual deepening of awe, a continual deepening of gratitude, a continual deepening of thankfulness. The longer we're following Christ, the more thankful we should become. The longer we've been walking with the Lord, the more we should be treasuring Him. But oftentimes, the longer we follow Christ or the way we think we should follow Christ, the more apathetic we become, the more that we become uh, judgmental and critical 
and we're looking for God to do things our way, or we're looking for some preacher somewhere to tell us something we haven't heard yet and impress us. And we miss out on just delighting. We read John 3.16, and we go, I know that. But do we? <laughs> Shouldn't it become sweeter to us? Not more common? Shouldn't it become more sacred? Shouldn't these things become a greater joy? Even Easter, even the, the celebration of Easter. I mean, maybe God strategically is using what the enemy meant for destruction to jar his church out of apathy. To jar us and wake us up and say, you become too complacent. You've made it too much about a show and not enough about me. To where maybe God is trying to grab us by the heart and get us to realize some things that we have completely gotten distracted and away from what matters. And we've been trying to program and pragmatic Christianity in such a way that we pretty much program God out of the thing. He's wanting us to come back to a place of authenticity, a place of sincerity, a place of where we've been walking and talking, and then all of a sudden we go, wait a minute, <laughs> I know who you are. You've been here this whole time. Oh, wasn't your heart just burning when he was speaking? Like the Apostle Paul, where we find that word. You see, I cannot give you a 10-step program cannot give you a formula to teach you how to delight in God no more than you could have told me how to delight in my wife when I first saw her. I believe delight is somewhat sovereign. I believe also that the treasure that you stumble on is also somewhat sovereign because the stumbling is sovereign. It's something that I believe is orchestrated by God. I believe your eyes being open to see the value in the resurrected Christ is sovereign, but I believe what you do next is up to you. Because the man who discovered the treasure in the field, he didn't have to go sell all he had. He didn't have to go do that, but he did so out of his joy. He did so out of the joy that he saw, out of what he experienced. The woman at the well, that interaction was indeed sovereign and orchestrated by God. That was no casual, common interaction. But yet her response, she saw what God had done and who he was, and that the Messiah had indeed talked to her. See, these actions were driven by people who were captivated. Are you watching today out of obligation? Because it's Easter. Come on, kids. Oh, we don't want to. No, come on. We're going to wear something nice and sit on the couch. Even if you're wearing a blazer with a buttoned-up shirt and you're still in your pajama pants. <laughs> we're going to do something nice for Easter. Come on, let's wake up. Let's have a big breakfast. And maybe everyone's kind of halfway distracted, looking at the ceiling and, you know, maybe chasing the dog around. I don't know what's going on in your living room right now. But I do know that today could be the day. This moment could be the moment where this isn't just another Easter that you just go through, but where this is a time where God has chosen to sovereignly open your eyes to see the fact that maybe you've been missing delighting in him. That maybe today you realize you've, you've been trying to follow the rules. You, you showed up. You turned on the TV. You, you opened the, the app on the phone. You logged onto the website. You created a really catchy username. But your heart has not been captivated. And maybe today 
Your eyes have been opened. Your heart has been stirred. Maybe today is your road of Emmaus moment. Maybe today is your stumbling over the treasure in the field moment. Maybe today is the day where you're at the well going through the motions and Jesus showed up and you realize this was just not another happenstance meeting. Maybe today your heart is being stirred for the very first time. So what do you do? The same thing those people did. You respond. You tell someone. Maybe you sell out completely today because he's worth it. Maybe you trade what is easy and what is normal, like the Apostle Paul did, for something radical, even if it costs you everything. Some of you have been out of the Bible for a while, and maybe today he's stirring you to get back into Scripture. Some of you are disconnected from his church. Maybe today is the day he stirs you to start getting reconnected. Some of you have given up on dreams that God put in your heart for his glory and he's wanting you to start taking steps towards that again. Maybe some of you have been sitting on gifts that God's given you. You've been sitting on those gifts because of church wounds, disappointments. What do I do? You forgive, and you start using your gift, your talent for him, your calling. Allow this moment of being captivated by the risen Savior to cause movement in your life to cause a change in you, in your family, a change in your behaviors, a change in your values, a change at you from the very core of who you are because you're captivated, because he's worth it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, when we are captivated, when we are in awe of who he is. So, Lord, help us to see you today in such a real, authentic way. Lord, where you grab people right at the heart, that you break off the hardness that has been caused through disappointment, through years of anger, through years of frustration, through being lied to, manipulated, taken advantage of that has been wrapped up in sin and bitterness, that you would break even the hardest of hearts, that you would cause tears of repentance in this moment, tears of awe in this moment, that you would cause, Lord, a genuine heart transformation to where your spirit is moving all throughout homes, maybe places where loved ones have gathered together, maybe in someone's office today. Maybe someone listening to the audio driving down the road today. Maybe someone, Lord, who has been very far away in their walk that you're calling them to a place to realize you have not left. But you are calling them to a place to where they are drawing near. Lord, I just pray that you would do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, draw people close. Open their eyes. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Let this Easter be one where eternity is impacted, where lives are changed, where heaven gains today in a big way.
because of what you are not only doing through this church and this stream and this message, but what you're doing all over the world at this moment through all sorts of different avenues of ministry and churches and preachers and, and people gathering and praying together and worshiping and sharing the goodness of the gospel. Thank you that you accept us, you receive us right where we're at. Help us to see your beauty in a way like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this Easter. I just pray that this Easter will be a significant one for you and your family. If you have made that decision to respond to that awe, to that eye-opening that we talked about today, would you let us know that you've done that? Just for the sake of, we want to be praying for you. Maybe we want to put you in contact with people who can help you walk this thing out, who can encourage you. Maybe you're someone who is just finding faith in Christ for the very first time, or maybe you're someone who has said, yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of been treating this not as serious as I should, and there's an urgency, there's a new fire in you. We want to help stoke that thing by getting you plugged in and connected to other people. Even though we may not be able to physically connect, we can still make some connections here, and we can pray for you. So please let us know that. Email us, reach out to us, give us a call. Whatever you need to do, uh, post something in the comments. We love you. We're so glad that you joined us today. Before you all sign off here, number 6 and 24 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. Happy Easter, church. He is risen. He is risen indeed.